0: Then in 2014, I read a book called Missing Microbes by Martin Blaise, Dr. Martin Blazer that was talking about the age of antibiotics that we've all grown up in and how that was destroying the micro something called the microbiome, which I really hadn't heard much about. And that made a lot of sense to me because I knew my husband and other people with Parkinson's who had <laughs> taken a lot of antibiotics in childhood for infections like strep. Great. And- Six months later, a scientist from Finland showed that he could divide the two primary types of Parkinson's by the gut bacteria. So some people have tremor more dominant and some people have posture and gait problems. And he could separate that just by looking at the gut bacteria. Mm. And I was like, Eureka, this is it. The gut is the general ledger.
1: Hello and welcome to the Health Detective Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. We bring you interviews from people who have conquered the trickiest of health challenges using the functional diagnostic nutrition philosophy and similar healing modalities you're going to hear from experts who have been through the ringer with their health issues and yet managed to come out on the other side. If you're interested in natural healing and or functional medicine, congrats, you are in the right place. You can always visit us at functionaldiagnosticnutrition.com. But for now, here is today's episode. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Health Detective Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. My name is Evan Transu, aka Detective Ev, and I will be your host for today's show. We are talking to an absolutely brilliant woman who is on truly the cutting edge of science if everything that she said today is accurate. And I have every reason to believe it is. I just mean that some of it is so darn cool. That it's almost incomprehensible to me to believe that this actually is going to exist soon. So I'll make sense of that in just a second. I'll read her bio first and then I'll explain what we're talking about today. Martha Carlin is a citizen scientist, systems thinker, wife of Parkinson's warrior John Carlin and founder of the Bio Collective, a microbiome company expanding the reach of science. Since John's diagnosis in 2002, Martha began learning the science of agriculture, nutrition, environment, infectious disease, Parkinson's pathology, and much more. In 2014, when the first research was published showing a connection between the gut bacteria and the two phenotypes of Parkinson's, Martha quit her former career as a business turnaround expert and founded the Bio Collective to accelerate the discovery of the impact of gut health and on all human health, including Parkinson's. Martha was a speaker at the White House 2016 Microbiome Initiative launch, challenging the scientific community to think in a broader context. Her systems thinking background and experience has led to collaborations across the scientific spectrum from neuroscience to engineering to infectious disease. She is a respected out-of-the-box problem solver in the microbiome field and brings a unique perspective to helping others understand the connections from the soil to the food to our guts and our brains. In today's episode, we are talking about primarily the formula that was created, which is now multiple products and a lot of them have the main formula in it, but a formula of sorts that was created With people who have Parkinson's in mind, but also it's something that could affect a lot of people um, in terms of like microbiome health in a very positive way. What we will also be mentioning today, which I find, believe it or not, even more revolutionary than this, is she's working on a company and they're filing patents and stuff like that. Apparently this could be out as early as 2023, but it's going to be a product that has certain bacteria in it, microbes, that can consume glyphosate. And so what this would mean is that in theory, you could put this in your backyard for a garden and it would eat up glyphosate, Roundup, and then you would have a much purer garden. Now, of course, there's bigger issues, right, because it comes from the rainwater, it comes from a lot of different things, but this would still be a huge product for a variety of reasons. And I just, I thought it was fascinating. I have never heard of something like this. I've never heard of it being developed. And then supposedly the person that is really on the front lines of this and actually going to offer something to the market was lucky enough to come on our podcast. And really we were lucky enough to have her so that we could bring this message to you guys. So I think you're gonna love her. She's passionate, very intelligent, extremely well-read. I mean, there's nothing... To not like about this podcast, it fits in perfectly for what we try to do here. Without further ado, let's get to today's episode. All right, hello there, Martha. Thanks so much for being here with us today.
0: Thanks for having me, Evan.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you. There was a lot of interesting things when I was reading your bio. I'm like, okay, wow, a lot of different routes we can take. Um. especially, especially interested in the whole Parkinson side. And I know that's a huge aspect of uh, your family story. Um, but and I don't know if this will just organically get into that. But I always start with the same question on this podcast, as you said that you were listening to a couple interviews. So you probably know this. I like to just know what the heck got the person into this space to begin with, because no one gets into this by accident. Not yet, at least <laughs> uh, this is intentional because of something that happened to us or someone we care about. So how did you get into this?
0: Absolutely. So I got into this, um, 21 years ago, (laughs) my 44 year old husband was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease and he had been a very healthy endurance athlete. Um, you know, it just didn't make sense to me that someone like that would get an old person's disease. Mm -hmm. And I actually had a background in accounting and uh, business operations. I was a business turnaround expert. Mm -hmm. And I just looked at how, you know, the neurologist sort of looked at him, said, you have Parkinson's, which I had already figured out. And, you know, gave him a pill and said, I'll, you know, come back in six months. And I was like, this doesn't make any sense. So I took my... Uh, business turnaround approach, which I was trained in something called transaction flow review, which is how you identify risk in a business. And you look at everything that's flowing through the system and you try to figure out where the breakpoints are that cause business risk. And I said, well, okay, we should look at the body like a system. And so what's flowing through it, like food and water. So I started first 21 years ago, looking at the food and water system and all the things that um, you know might have been contributing to that and just like totally threw out the pantry and started over and you know from that i mean it's taken 21 years of increasing into different areas of the science and connecting the dots and then in 2014 i read a book called missing microbes by martin blaze dr martin blazer that was talking about the age of antibiotics that we've all grown up in and how that was destroying the micro something called the microbiome, which I really hadn't heard much about. And that made a lot of sense to me because I knew my husband and other people with Parkinson's who had mm-hmm. taken a lot of antibiotics in childhood for infections like strep. Great. And six months later, a scientist from Finland showed that he could divide the two primary types of Parkinson's By the gut bacteria. So some people have tremor more dominant and some people have posture and gait problems. And he could separate that just by looking at the gut bacteria. Hmm. And I was like, Eureka, this is it. The gut is the general ledger. And I um, quit my job. We started funding some research at the university of Chicago. And about six months later, I formed a company called the bio collective to start collecting fecal samples from people to not only look at Parkinson's, but look across what we call diseases for common functional loss patterns in the microbiome.
1: Wow. Okay, cool. Um, And I love that you brought up the antibiotics thing because it's something I I mention occasionally on this uh, show. It's sometimes tough to see what came first, the chicken or the egg, at least for me, because like, I know I had like severe sinus issues which maybe shouldn't have always been treated with antibiotics however it's still a symptom right so something else was going on to trigger that even and Martha I mean by the age of 18 I had been on 20 courses of antibiotics in my life some of which lasting a month and it's like oh my god like and then I look back I'm just I'm thankful to be as normal and healthy as I am now because we really don't know uh fully what that does long term and and that's amazing that that um researcher could figure out like the different or uh differentiate these Parkinson's people into two different groups based on that. That was something I've never heard of. So that's already uh, hugely valuable to the audience. So thank you. One thing I got to ask is we're going 21 years back, 44 year old husband, this is happening. And from my understanding, because you have this uh, business background, were you a health person at all? I mean, was this something you had ever even considered?
0: No, I was not a health person (laughs) at all. I was a very (laughs) business focused, you know, down to the you know, brass tacks, kind of. Uh, so, you know, that was a. Although it's kind of funny because in college, I went into college and I was going to become a chemical engineer. And mm-hmm. then I got there and I had a terrible chemistry professor. And I saw that I was not going to ha- get to have any fun if I studied right. chemistry. So I changed my major. <laughs>
1: Okay. Wow. So my question is that, especially with someone without the health background, and I'm, I'm thinking 21 years back, because I know for me, I've been in the space about nine years now. And even myself, I have seen such a dramatic transition in the way that people approach this simply because, well, I shouldn't say simply, but mostly because of the internet, because this information spreads rapidly now. So you have no health ba- background. Obviously, you're a very sharp person, but that doesn't mean, you know, that necessarily translated over into knowledge about health right away. You figured out the Parkinson's thing before the doctor even said it. I got to ask what the heck's going through your head though, seeing a 44 year old husband with Parkinson's without a health background. I mean, are you like freaking out? Like what, what are you scared? Like what's happening at the time?
0: I mean, at, at first we were both really scared. Um, you know, I look back at some of the journals that I wrote and the things that we said to each other. And you know, we didn't think he'd still be around now. Um, You know, in 2011, which was he was diagnosed in 2002, we climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. And when we were on top of that mountain, (laughs) we were both standing there crying because we were like, when we heard that diagnosis, we thought there's absolutely no way he would have any kind of life at that point. I mean, that's what the doctors sort of tell you. You know, this is progressive. There's nothing you can do about it. And I'm here to tell you that's just not true.
1: Wow. Well, and th- that was kind of my point because it, it doesn't really matter per se how how smart the individual is. If you don't have this functional health background, then yes, you would typically take what the doctor is going to say at face value or what society says at face value. So that's why I was like, wow, this must be kind of scary at any age, but at 44 to think this is my husband and he's just going to get progressively worse. And, you know, I didn't want to ask this. So I thank you so much for saying that because I was hoping, I'm like, well, you seem pretty happy. You seem like you got a lot of this figured out. I'm like, he's still with us today. Right. And that's, no. that's amazing. 21 years later. So what, 65 can't years old?
0: See him, but the lights behind him, but yeah, he's, oh, nice.
1: uh,
0: <laughs> he's 64 and he's doing great. Uh, yeah. You know, we nice. had a rough <laughs> bout with COVID last year. And so we <laughs> had to kind of get back from some of the uh, long-term effects of that, but all of the skills we've developed over these 21 years and People that I've connected with who've been able to help me has gotten, in fact, in good shape there, too.
1: Uh, Amazing. All right. So getting into some of the specifics when – well, actually, I'm I'm interested in one thing first because we kind of already alluded to this, but I I really like to dissect this point, which you might already be aware of. To have the ability to – I mean, clearly, eventually say – um, whether it was directly to the doctor or not, that you are going to do different things because you must have done that. Otherwise, your husband wouldn't be in the condition that he is in today. Where, how long did it take to get to the point where this goes from, oh, my gosh, like this might get progressively worse over time and I've kind of lost my husband to, hey, no, I think I can take proactive action with this? Because I, I understand that you came across some research, but how long did it take to find that stuff?
0: you know, early on, we just changed the food supply. And I focused very much on clean food, which in 2002 was kind of hard to find. Um, There wasn't a lot of organic, there wasn't a lot of that. Um, So but just through cleaning up the food and not eating processed foods, and that, you know, we, we saw a pretty immediate improvement. And he had been he was a marathon runner. So he'd been like sucking on that goo stuff that they make for marathon runners and um, drinking soy protein shakes. And I like got them off soy protein and got them off a lot of that stuff. And, you know, I'm, I would mention diet to the neurologist, but they didn't really pay a whole lot of attention, but there was a kind of a big inflection point after the gut stuff Mm-hmm. you know really making that connection where um and that sort of leads into the a product that i made so i went to a research conference and they showed that the sugar alcohol mannitol could stop the aggregation of the proteins in an animal model and so i came back from that meeting and at the time he was you know he's had some ups and downs over the years and sure. so we always kind of tweak and work on things and Um, At that time, he was walking with a cane and not able to navigate through a crowd. So I came back and bought a mannitol chemistry book and start looking at this amazing molecule. And humans don't use it, but bacteria do. And so I got with a friend of mine who's a, a fermentation chemist. And we looked at the bacteria that make mannitol from glucose and fructose. And we made this little formula for my husband to try and within a month we were measuring his microbiome we could see that getting back closer to the healthy human microbiome and he was no longer walking with a cane and he was able to wow. navigate a crowd and we're like wow we we really have something here and at that point they use um, something called the UPDR score to show how advanced your parkinson's is and the higher mm-hmm. the score the worse you are and About that time, his score was a 35, and after, you know, about a year on that, um, his score had improved back down to a 20 and was stable at 20 uh, for about four years until he had COVID in December.
1: Okay. Wow. Oh my gosh. This is just, I mean, I know he probably did some work too, but I feel like um, he's pretty lucky to have someone. Like you that's this dedicated to trying to figure this stuff out. Um, two decades later, still sharing I a fraction of your guys' lives at this point. You right. know, and still out here sharing information with others because, you know, we've had a lot of people come on and um we talk about a variety of conditions, but I feel like Parkinson's might have only really been dove into or dived into whatever the word would be uh once before in almost 200 episodes because you know again I, I told you about our audience we do have a lot of people maybe in their 30s and 40s listening and perhaps of all the things they've dealt with parkinson's hasn't been uh, one of those things yet so i know our audience is going to love this just for prevention or working with clients so you really guys you guys have really uh nail this down to the gut microbiome being one of the biggest things
0: it is what's interesting is i started digging into the data about the incidence of parkinson's because you know i'm like this is an old person's (laughs) disease and we started we were in a young onset group so i started digging into the data and the number of people under the age of 40 being diagnosed with parkinson's has nearly doubled in the last decade Now, it is more men, it's about two-thirds men and one-third women, but one of the other kind of key indicators is chronic constipation precedes a diagnosis of Parkinson's by Mm -hmm. 10 to 15 years. And out of a cohort of people who have IBS and IBD, which a lot of, um, you know, younger people do have, about a third of those people go on to develop Parkinson's. So dealing with your gut now while you're young <laughs> can really help, maybe stop it or certainly push it further out.
1: It seems like I mean, obviously we've we've come a little farther in functional medicine now. Like we, I mean, you know, Hippocrates said all disease begins in the gut, which is extraordinarily profound for his time. Uh, we know it's a little more complicated than that now, but I mean, really. Uh, it's like, it seems to be a necessary component at the very least in almost everything. I've never had someone hop on here that has done the testing like you guys have and actually tracked the stuff with any condition, whether it's cancer, autoimmune, anxiety, depression, whatever, that had an optimized gut. You just don't see someone that has an optimized gut with health symptoms. Um, So we're really, man, we're playing uh, playing with some fire here in today's world. And we're basically guinea pigs right because yes in 2002 you're right we were coming off of the main stretch of like gmos where like they were just being used in the u.s completely unrestricted i mean not that they're as restricted exactly. as i'd like to see now but i mean no one even knew what the heck these were right so they're just being added to the food supply no one knows what's happening and um we're seeing that the glyphosate starting to be uh, utilize the antibiotics are getting handed out like candy, even for a cold, just because, well, it could be, you know, something more. So you might as well take these for a cold. I mean, thank God we're moving away from some of that, but we still got uh, quite a bit to do. So of course, in addition to what you've created, um, what other things have you found to be most effective for impacting people's gut microbiomes in a positive way? Like what are some things people can do?
0: Well, you know, exercise turned out to be one of those surprising things. Back in 2008, we got connected to a researcher at the Cleveland Clinic, Dr. Jay Albers. And he had discovered kind of by accident riding the bike ride across Iowa, well, Ragbra, um, mm-hmm. that a friend of his with Parkinson's, when riding a bike, his symptoms disappeared. And so he's ended up spending, you know, more than a decade studying the impact of exercise on the brain and, the, and also starting to look at the gut. And there's a number of researchers that have shown how exercise can improve the gut microbiome.
1: Okay. Does this depend on the type of exercise? Because I'm I'm thinking immediately about your husband. I'm like, okay, well, a marathon runner and he got it. And I had, um, don't, I I don't want to be quoted on this by anyone listening because I only like to say that if I know it for sure. But I I recall reading something that like the average life expectancy of marathon runners is only like late fifties because the theory behind it being there's so much stress on the body, whereas something like biking might be considered a more moderate activity, generally speaking. So does it depend on the type of exercise?
0: So I don't I don't know that Dr. Alberts has studied the extreme part of the exercise, but what they do is a a, a low impact um, cycling program where you cycle at a certain RPM three times a week, and that is uh, you know I think much better for the mitochondria. the the stress side of marathon running that's that's another area uh, that I've really just started focusing a bit more on this year. What you do you know, a lot of marathon runners historically were consuming high carb, high glucose. They, they convert themselves into like anaerobic fermenters, which is basically produces lower ATP. Um, and so I think that's part of the problem. And then like you were saying that excessive stress creates, um, basically a dumping of magnesium. And so you've got to get that magnesium back in, um, to handle that excess stress. So I do think there that, uh, you know, extreme exercise like that is, it's just too much stress for the body long-term and Mm -hmm. converts the whole system in the wrong direction.
1: It's probably one of the things that, uh, tricks up some of our clients the most when they like, when our FDNs go work with people, because if we look at a hormone test and we're seeing them in a very exhaustive phase of HPA axis dysfunction, one of the recommendations that we might suggest to a client, and by the way, this was suggested to me at 21 years old, they were like, Hey, maybe back off the exercise for a little bit. Like, don't not move your body. That's ridiculous. But like, they really said, Hey, just give walking a try for a little bit. I'm like, what? Like, this is crazy. And I was in a position at the time where like, I had just broken my foot. So this was actually highly motivating because I couldn't even really walk. I could only do my crutches so i wasn't doing any extreme exercise so i said all right i'll just i'll take it easy um i had planned to go to the gym before and like at least do what i could upper body wise but i said whatever my foot needs to heal fine and i just remember a week went by martha And I I like woke up the one day, I just had so much energy, like drive, and I just felt good because I never really stopped exercising. And of course, we want to be able to get back to that exercise long term, just so it's clear to people that might be listening and be a little confused by that. But the point is, sometimes, yeah, it is a stress on the body and people forget that. So if your body is already super stressed out because of a chronic illness or disease, well, we need to make sure we're balancing that while we get you healthy. um, So then we can get you back onto a reasonable amount of exercise that is sustainable long-term, right? Exactly. And ha- does your husband now, like, is he able to, because um, I mean, he climbed the mountain with you. That's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> so is he able to move around a lot or did the COVID, did that prevent that kind yeah, of tilt? No,
0: he's able to move. I mean, he's- Good, good. Know, he's fully mobile. Um I will say that, and I think um, there's another researcher I'm working with who's looking at the microbiome in Parkinson's, but also in COVID, and there were some similarities in um, loss of bifidobacteria in the gut of people who did poorly with um, COVID and poorly, uh, and that's also associated with Parkinson's. And those bifidobacteria are highly sensitive to antibiotics, um, wow. the, you know, one of the main ones is what we get from breast milk. And of course, most of our generation were fed on formula. Um, so we didn't really get that underlying microbiome piece, but yeah, he's doing great.
1: Awesome. So with your, um, well, let's, I want to, uh, just highlight it a little more. So you guys have a product or is it a series of products with the manitol in it? Can we explain that a little more?
0: Sure. We, we have a series of products, but the, the initial product that I made for my husband was a product uh, that we eventually named Sugar Shift. It's BiotiQuest Sugar Shift. And um, because it shifts how your body metabolizes sugars, it takes the glucose and fructose that we're getting way too much of in our diet, converts it to mannitol which humans don't use, but is really a prebiotic fiber for bacteria. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we saw what was going on in him is it's shifting the metabolism back to supporting energy production um, and kind of restoring that TCA cycle. And in that process, of course, it was affecting blood glucose. I didn't know at the time about 65% of people with Parkinson's have um, some... uh, it, they've there are some research papers that have called it like type 3 diabetes, same with <laughs> Alzheimer's. So there's this glucose dysregulation. So that's one of the primary mechanisms of action. But we've since, you know, designing it to make the manitol, we found it increases bifidobacteria. Um, it in, improves energy production. It helps with bacterial melatonin production, so improves sleep. Um, you know, I can't really mm. say this, but customers tell me they lose weight. They It helps them support, um, like if they want to do intermittent fasting, they're not as hungry in the morning and can huh. um, eat later. So then we went from that. So I have a chief scientific officer of my company is a, a microbial uh, ecologist that was a professor at Cal Poly for 30 years. And we work together uh, with another scientist building a computer model that can predict how bacteria work together to sort of put back functions, if you will, into the gut. So we have one that supports better immunity. We have one that supports cardiovascular health. Uh, We just released a sleep product that helps in the production of tryptophan and bacterial melatonin. Um, but a lot of the formulas have at their base our core formula that does that sugar conversion and mannitol production.
1: Okay, that's what I was wondering if this was all, because I've seen many great companies, right, that kind of have this core thing and a lot of the things are, are centered around that. Um, so do you, because I understand that this is doing stuff in the gut, but this is fascinating to me because it's, again, I mean, honestly, very new information in a sense. Are you utilizing then or recommending other people you know, I, I say recommend tongue in cheek, you know, would you suggest yeah. that other people look into like probiotic usage or would this be, I mean, can this replace this or do you still need to yes. utilize so that, I mean, probiotics elsewhere?
0: Yeah, it is a probiotic. Um, and it is, right. um, it's eight strains. Four of those are strains we isolated ourselves and did the work on, um, you know, make, and one of those strains happened to be, it's a lactobacillus plantarum that was resistant to glyphosate and it has, hmm. um, a a pathway called the third pathway that breaks down glyphosate without producing AMPA, which is more toxic to the brain. I mean, that's maybe a little too technical for most people. So we think, you know, part of how it helps people is through that bioremediation of glyphosate and detoxification of, of the body. Um, but what most people don't realize when they go to a store and they look at the shelf of probiotics, um, Probably 90, 90, 95% of those uh, formulas on the shelf uh, are pretty much the same. And they have a very limited number of strains of bacteria in them. Um, There are 12 widely grown strains in the industry and only three major producers um, globally. Uh, So you're not getting a lot of diversity. So we actually, you know, figured out the strains we wanted uh, isolated themselves, ourselves, worked on what we needed to do to get, um, to get them down the path of production and, and all that. And one of them is actually, uh, a species called Leuconostoc mesentroides, and it's found widely in fermented foods around the world. Um, but you don't see it in very many probiotics. And, um, it's a really, um, kind of amazing microbe, I would say. So, mm-hmm. you know, fermented foods will help support you as well. But, you know, I do know there are, there are people who have FODMAP sensitivities who are kind of working mm-hmm. through that. And that's the only people that have had occasional issues if they're really FODMAP sensitive to the formula.
1: Okay. Well, this is cool because this seems like, um, I've, I like you said, I mean, so many of these in the stores – There's many problems with them, right? They're lacking in diversity. The other issue is half of these things are refrigerated. And so there might be a good chance that a lot of it dies once it even goes into the uh, GI tract. So there's, there's many controversial things with it. And one of the things I've always wondered too, as a consumer is because a lot of this stuff is, I mean, the research that is, is fairly new. And the gut microbiome is so complicated that I kind of wonder, are there going to be unintended consequences sometimes from these people that go to the local health food store and just take this stuff over and over and over again, where it sounds like yours is more, um, it, one, diverse, so you have that, but also, two, kind of like utilizing something the body would do naturally and just kind of supporting it. That seems more sustainable to me long term if I had to put my money on something.
0: Yes, I, I, I believe so. And I, I do think it's it's always good to take a periodic break. And, um, you know, the other thing, because you're on the nutrition side, you talk to a lot of nutrition people, right. is the food that you give those bacteria are, you know, will impact what they produce. So, you know, right. you can't just fix a problem by taking a probiotic. You got to fix your yeah, right. <laughs> your nutritional profile and, um, you know, be getting those trace minerals that we're so depleted of. And that glyphosate depletes, from the food, from the animals, from us.
1: Yeah, well, the glyph- oh my god—the glyphosate thing is still crazy to me. That was one of the first topics that got me into this space. I remember I wasn't like in it, in it yet, but I was sixteen. I wasn't doing too well, felt terrible, and then I learned about what, well, Monsanto at the time, bear now, uh, was doing with glyphosate or whatever. And then the craziest part, Martha, is the fact that like they. basically ruled, right? That this, oh yes, it is carcinogenic. So we're going to have to remove it from the market, but they give them a time limit. Like if you and I were running a product or running a company with a product that we proved, or they proved rather was causing cancer, we would have to remove it the next day. They say, oh yeah, no problem. Yeah. You just take your time and get it off the market. We'll just keep infecting the water and the land, every single place. Um, but you know, you take your time getting it off the market. I mean, what kind of craziness is that <laughs> while well, people it, are out there suffering with these? Yeah,
0: things. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And in fact, you know, if I go all the way back to the 20, 21 years ago, the earliest thing I was looking at was the genetically engineered food and the chemicals that were used <laughs> on it. And you know, I had in my head, how can we fix this? How can we fix this? Well, back to my chief scientific officer he was a pioneer in using uh microbial mixtures to clean up oil spills. Mm-hmm. And so we actually have another company called Paleobiotica uh that uh is has a product um that breaks down and glyphosate in the soil and water. So it wow. can uh remove glyphosate from the oil and water. So we're just bringing that to market. Um this coming year. Um, But we've Mm -hmm. done quite a bit of uh, research on that. And we have some new data coming out in December that we're going to be excited to share as well.
1: Wait, so would this be something that people could, I have a garden in the backyard. I could use this in a garden. Is that what it would be used for?
0: Yep. You could use it in the, you could use it in a garden. We're talking to um, organic farmers because most people don't realize this, but the fertilizer on most organic farms is conventional manure. Well, the conventional manure, we're working with a farmer right now who had a problem with one of his crops and they we traced it back. Um, well, we're working with this scientist who traced it back to um, the poultry manure that he was using. He, you know, he puts four tons an acre on the land as fertilizer, but each ton of manure had Something like eight tenths of a pound of glyphosate. So right. that, you know, because they're eating the feed that has glyphosate, their manure has glyphosate because it's not broken down. So, you know, we're just spreading it through the organic food supply as well.
1: What an app. Uh, I mean, I'm not one to be pessimistic on here. And there is hope. Look, I mean, there's great people out you out there like you doing stuff. But uh, I mean, man, what a mess, right? Like what an absolute... This is something that they will look back on one day and just say, what the, you know what, were we thinking? What were we Putting thinking? this in... Yeah, this is really? a nightmare. Uh, <laughs> right, right, yeah. Um, that, that's And that's one of the reasons too. Like I always suggest to people, I'm like, okay, organic is great. You know, it might be a little better than your truly conventional stuff. But if you really can... Uh, local. I mean, and that's still not going to avoid everything. Cause if you live in an even mildly population dense area, I mean, it's in the water, it's, it's everywhere. Um, I actually, my girlfriend, she's from Washington state. And like I said to you before air, uh, we were, I'm in Pennsylvania and it wasn't that she was like, even, um, challenging me on it. It was almost like disbelief. I told her, I'm like, babe, there's glyphosate in rainwater everywhere in this country. And she said, well, it's not like in the rainforests in Washington and the national parks and stuff. I said i bet it is oh, and she looked it up she's like i she couldn't believe it she's like it's in the water in these places that they're not even spraying it anywhere close to directly um, in those areas and it's still there i mean that's just this is going to take a while to clean up
0: <laughs> it is going to take a but microbes are amazing and i i tell people that, <laughs> like i love microbes because they can they make so many things they may like Most of the pharmaceuticals actually are made by microbes. They make vitamins, minerals, hormones, neurotransmitters. They can do all that. And they can break down all kinds of toxic things and fix problems you wouldn't even imagine. They eat plastic Mm -hmm. and concrete.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So I got hope in them. And yeah, that's the thing. I appreciate you actually bringing it back up because I never, ever want to leave people on a pessimistic note with some of this stuff. But, you know, it's a real problem Um, and there needs to be, it needs to be treated with seriousness and, you know, people that can do something about this should go do something about this. You know, um, sometimes it's as simple as you might be able to vote in a local township meeting on usage of these things. And I I encourage everyone to do those things and just help spread awareness. Um, But besides the point, let's please, please reach out to me and get you back on once that company is, like fully good to go and everything's on the market because I know our audience, including myself would love to use that product. I mean, my, um, My girlfriend and a couple friends and I—we have wanted to do this for a while, and we finally got it together. So, early spring of 2023, we're finally going to be trying to settle on a property that not only would act as like a retreat center. This is the best case; is it's a retreat center that we host out, or worst case, um, it's like our compound if anything hits the fan, right? (laughs) So, we want like a self-sustaining place, and I would love nothing more than to be able to utilize your guys' product and know that we could. Because wherever we buy, it doesn't really matter. You know, there's going to be something there. Yeah. So that that's an amazing... I think it's going to be a revolutionary product, my friend. I mean, that's yeah. pretty big.
0: You'll, yeah. It, we, well, we we believe so. And I actually, my husband and I moved to a farm. So, I, you know, we've been in Colorado for the last 25 years. I grew nice. up in Kentucky and we moved back east to a farm in the area where I grew up so that we could grow our own food, have our own animals, hmm. know what they're fed, know what they they eat and, you know, be able to protect our own food chain.
1: Yeah. I think, um, I think there's a quote that I'm probably misquoting, but it was something along the lines of like the greatest act of rebellion against all this health stuff and like the crappy food in the grocery market, and all these things is to be self-sustaining. Grow it yourself. That is the greatest act of rebellion is to say, cool, well, I don't need your crappy grocery food store. Um, ideally, you wouldn't need a lot of the pharmaceuticals, although they are life-saving in certain circumstances. So don't be a martyr. Like, Go use it when you need it. But um, that is one of the greatest things that we can do and encourage people to do is try to get this stuff on their own. Uh, much easier said than done. But the last two to three years for me, that was, that was all the push that I needed. I'm like, you know what? This is just Airbnb is so popular anyway. So I'm like, worst case scenario, we have this great investment yeah. um, and we rent it out as that. And then again, worst case is we could use this for something really important if need be. Um, Now, with all that said, you had mentioned certain foods being able to um, feed bacteria or rather have the bacteria do different things in different ways. Is there a, I know this is not a recommendation for everyone, but is there a certain type of diet, if you'll even call it that, that maybe you have your husband and, and you follow, is it more ketogenic? Is it paleo? Is it vegan? Is it what? what's worked for you guys?
0: So in fact, he jokes about this a lot. Is like the no fun diet version, whatever. So. <laughs> No, we've tried a lot of different things. I think, you know, currently, um, really a whole foods, uh, low carbohydrate diet um, has been extremely helpful, you know, shifting more to the ketogenic side um, Mm. and away from those grains. I mean, I can't believe in all these 21 years, we didn't find out until last year that he had, so we did the wheat zoomer and got, you oh, know, nice he had eight, uh, like four, uh, gluten and four gliadin, um, antibodies, uh, that were focused on that. But we've also recently been looking at a low sulfur. There's, um, evidence in the microbiome of people with Parkinson's in a, uh, longitudinal study that there is dysregulated sulfur metabolism, so we're looking at that, and then also a high lysine, low glycine diet. So, you know, those are a little bit tricky, but we actually just started working on on that with our functional person um, this last week, sort of trying to lay out, you know, how we might try that. But, you know, definitely no sweets anymore. I mean, John stopped drinking beer or anything like that about 10 years ago, maybe. Good, good, um, good. And you know, just laying off the the grains, and um, that's been a. Big Are one. you? And no, when soy. you said you did the no, no soy.
1: Okay, good, good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely not. Um, when you said you guys did the wheat zoomer just last year, there was like. It was part of the story where I feel like, you know, when I do this literally every sentence, we're kind of um, almost going back and forth in our sentence. And I didn't get something 100%. Were you suggesting that he had been consuming gluten in some way for the last 20 something years? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay.
0: Yeah. And so, and that actually tied out in a sort of odd way to my microbiome data. So I had started working on a hypothesis of something called molecular mimicry, um, where we we could see the different bacteria that were more present in people with Parkinson's, that your body produces an antibody to those, but they have molecular mimicry with human proteins. And one in particular we had been looking at was um, these heat shock proteins called um, alpha crystalline. And in human alpha B crystalline is part of the proteins that help manage misfolded proteins. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I had this like whole table of, you know, looking at the bacteria and what heat shock proteins they produce. And I came across um, two papers, one connecting the alpha crystalline wheat actually makes an alpha crystalline that is close, has closest homology to the human alpha B crystalline. So that kind of tied out and we ended up getting the test. But then also spinach, corn, and soy, I believe, create, they have an antibody to something called aquaporin. And that manages like fluid in and out of tissues in the brain. And so these Mm -hmm. antibodies related to aquaporins could potentially be involved. And we figured out there was a water homeostasis problem in people with Parkinson's. From the girls in my lab, when we were collecting fecal samples, they could see, they could tell someone had Parkinson's just by looking at their stool sample. No information they would know. And they said, it's like parts of it are like concrete. So that I sort of tied back into this aquaporin and what could be going on with, you know, water back, you know, back and forth across the cell.
1: Wow. So- I don't, how literally did you mean that? Did you mean like a hundred percent of the time they can tell this or like 60% of the time? Cause either way it's impressive, but I'm curious
0: about that. Uh, I don't know if it was a hundred percent of the time, but I, I, it was a lot. Like they would Pretty say, close. like okay. they can't, be, and we couldn't believe there was nothing in the scientific literature about it at all.
1: <laughs> wow. We got, yeah, we got, it's so, um. Well,
0: so, you know, the other thing about that, though, in the literature that, you know, mitochondrial dysfunction is Mm -hmm. part of what's going on in Parkinson's. And your mitochondria make metabolic water in your body when you're Mm -hmm. fasting. So the other thing that we've done over the last nine months, getting him back in shape from COVID was doing uh, the fast mimicking diet from uh, uh, Prolon.
1: Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, we love those yes. guys. I <laughs> I um, I, The first time I did that was for FDN like uh, a few years back. And, uh, you know, it's not the most fun thing in the world, but man, it's such a better way to fast. It's like sustainable, actually, as opposed to – I'm someone I've done these 72-hour water fasts. And like it works, but man, I mean that's – it is so mentally and physically challenging to do that where Prolon – uh, would i rather be doing something else yes but will i make it through also yes <laughs> you know yep. and they have the data to back it up that's i suppose for someone like you who clearly loves the data i feel like that must have been cool to find something like that like all right this this works so are you guys going to be using that regularly now
0: so we did he's been doing it at about every well he did it about every 5 weeks leading up to get ready for our daughter's wedding so that was in july <laughs> And now we've sort of spread it out. Like maybe it'll probably be every six to eight weeks. Um, But um, he definitely, um, you know, by the end of that five day fast looks a whole lot better, feels a whole lot better. And of course autophagy is not working well in Parkinson's. So that (laughs) kicking off some of that autophagy is probably a big part of what's helping.
1: Yeah. It almost can't be right. Because I feel like in I've, really started to, um, study over the last few years, this, this idea of the mitochondrial dysfunction, um, as a part of many chronic diseases. Are you, are you familiar with the guy, Dr. Doug Wallace?
0: That name is familiar, but you know, I I look up so many different people.
1: I can tell. Yeah. geez, I can tell. (laughs) Um, anyway, someone like you would probably love his stuff. Um, you can just go on YouTube even, and I encourage everyone out there to do this. Dr. Doug Wallace. Um, it's pretty technical, maybe even above my pay grade. I feel like you Odyssey would have a much deeper understanding of it than myself if you listen to him. But he was the guy. He's out of CHOP, believe it or not, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, for those that don't know, Uh, which is the reason I say that like that is because it's close to me. I guess Martha and I know that, but the audience might not. (laughs) Um, And this guy was really one of the main people that figured out this whole connection between Uh, mitochondrial dysfunction, and this chronic disease epidemic. If I'm not mistaken, his initial research showed a correlation between this and like 85% of chronic diseases, including cancers, autoimmune, everything, right? The Alzheimer's, dementia, Parkinson's. um, Well, I guess I could have blanketed that with dementia, but you know what I mean? So it's like almost everything. And then at that time, it was still believed that that other 15% probably is still relevant, but he just hadn't gotten there yet in the research. So it was amazing to see how this could correlate.
0: There's a interesting connection there too, back at the beginning of my understanding of the microbiome and reading Martin Blazer's book, I actually found a paper out of, I think it was the University of Oregon, where they showed um, basically the epigenetic regulation of mitochondrial genes, by antibiotic exposure. And they showed, you know, the impact of antibiotics on the mitochondria and the post-antibiotic expression of the mitochondria. So it was changing the genes of the mitochondria. Hmm. And they showed that that was, I believe, through the impact in the microbiome because what you get left behind after you take the microbiome, I mean, take the antibiotics, is a microbiome that is resistant to antibiotics. Well, that's basically bacteria that can produce antibiotics. So then you get a factory in your gut that could potentially, you know, be making more antibiotics, and that is impacting, there was more impact on the mitochondrial gene expression post Antibiotics then during antibiotics, which was kind of a mind blower wow. for me, and also tied back to one of the early books I read was on nutritional epigenetics, which I, where I was able to kind of tie into how soy was maybe potentially uh, regulating a gene involved in LPS trafficking, which is an mm-hmm. inflammatory protein. Wow. Oh my God.
1: You're uh, sharp sharpest attack, my friend, by the way. This is very impressive. Uh, well, we get a lot of smart people that come on, but like, I mean, the fact that you weren't even in this space, I don't care if you've been doing it for 20 years. The fact of the matter is you were not in the space for the first 40 something years of your life, not even in close to that, and then have accumulated this amount of knowledge. Uh, thats It's both admirable just for the reason that you did it to begin with, but also just extremely impressive and cool that you could sit here on a camera with me and just be like oh yeah this 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 and this this doctor this thing it's like that's um that's pretty amazing and then i watched her for those just listening and not um, watched the video. I watched your jot down the Doug Wallace thing. So I know you'll be catching that lecture probably pretty soon. <laughs> yes. and, um, and yeah, so that that's really cool. What is, um as we kind of have our last six, seven minutes here together, what is the the mission for you now? Because I am sure you guys are at a point where you don't need to be doing these podcasts. You could probably go figure out something else. And yet here you are about to launch a whole new product um, in the upcoming year. So clearly that passion's never died. What's, what's the mission for you now?
0: Well, you know, my mission is to bring healing to the gut to like the whole world if I can. And that, you know, what I've said to a lot of people is we can sort of make a temporary fix on the gut. And I think we've got some good solutions for that at Biotiquest, but, you know, ultimately we've got to fix the soil and the water and the food. So, you know, I tell people all the time, they're like, well, like, what's your mission? What's your purpose? And I'm like, saving the world.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. that's no, And that's cool. And you're actually out here doing it. And I think it, it's kind of brilliant because it's almost like, you know, I always tell people and any functional practitioner would, you try to utilize the foods and sources of water that might have less exposure to glyphosate. But I know if I take a urine test right now, of course, I'm going to have glyphosate in me, and which is really scary in a sense, like I can't get away from this. And so it's almost like in, functional, in the world of functional, we don't focus on the symptoms necessarily. We focus upstream. And it sounds like, yeah, you're, you're playing chess because you're on that next upstream thing. Like, all right, great. We can educate people. But the truth of the matter is, if this isn't out of the soil and stuff, it's um, an uphill battle for sure. And I think this is a... Almost like just weird timing for you guys to come out with this. I think it's amazing because I know in twenty twenty three, uh, what is it? I think they're are they required to ban it um, residentially. That's what it is for glyphosate. Yeah,
0: but that's not where most of it's coming. It's they're not going to be. I, I know. I know retail, but you know it doesn't. Re- I think that 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 was sort of a gimme, so they could keep okay. nag because you know it's all yeah. being sprayed. I think. I think I saw somewhere it was like four hundred thousand tons a year or something, just in the United States. Oh my
1: God. Okay. Um. And yeah, that I totally agree with you that that was uh. Yeah. It sounds cute and it sounds nice, but you realize, okay, that's not even the main problem. Um. Nonetheless, you know, I know, like my dad, he had landscaped his whole life, and now we don't use it, thankfully. But he didn't know any better at a time, and so he's walking around, you know, spraying Roundup or whatever. So to some degree. Right. It's probably going to impact at least somewhat positively, which is great. We have a lot more work to do, but I think I hope so. I mean, truly your product that you're working on is that's going to be something that could put a dent in it. I have never heard of anything like that.
0: I, you know, we don't think there is anything like that. We, we have filed a patent. It's moving forward, but that process is kind of slow. Um, yeah, and the same thing with our human product. I mean, we need to do some kind of study where we can see and prove, you know, what it's doing, you know, either through urine metabolites or some of that. But we do know that those bacteria specifically do that breakdown. So we we do believe that it would um, help. And um, you know, uh, there's another health group that makes yogurt out of our probiotics. So they you know, take a capsule and make it into high fat yogurt. And I think some of the mechanisms there are that it makes, uh, you know, the, the vitamins, uh, especially the fat soluble vitamins more bioavailable. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of different things that, you know, tick trip tricks and tips that you can do, you know, to make a difference on your glyphosate load, I guess.
1: Sure. All right. Two more questions for you then today to finish up. One is where can people find your products that you currently have um, available if they wanted to purchase these things?
0: So they're available on direct on our website, biotic Um, so that's B I O T I Q U E S T.com. And they're also, some of them are available on Amazon. So you can get the sugar shift product, um, the ideal immunity and heart centered on Amazon, I think they'll have the sleep product, which is simple slumber, um, probably in the next 30 days.
1: Okay. Are you, um, I was well, sorry. I'll have this in the show notes. I'll actually ask you that question off the air because I, I want to be smart at time. Last question, and you might already know this if you listened all the way through, but my signature question on the Health Detective Podcast to finish up today is if I could give you, Martha in this case, a magic wand and you could get every single person in this world to do one thing for their health, what is the one thing that you would get them to
0: do? Oh, wow. Um, Trust their gut. (laughs) 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 But take care of that. Take care of your internal ecosystem. Take care of your gut.
1: Excellent. Thank you so much for coming on with us today.
0: Thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed it.
1: All right, folks. That'll do it for today's episode with Martha Carlin. I hope you guys enjoyed this one and are as excited for some of the things that she's working on as I am. I. I'm someone who wants to have a self-sustaining property for a variety of reasons, and a couple friends and myself are looking to have that done early-ish spring of 2023, not done in terms of like it being built, but done in terms of the land and the space has been purchased so that we can actually pursue this. And to think that there might be a product coming out soon that would help us make the soil even better, uh, that excites me a lot. I love the idea of this and I will be the first consumer of it for sure. And of course, if this does all go through as is planned, then we will be having Martha back on to uh, talk just about that because that deserves at least one podcast episode in and of itself. If you guys enjoy the content that we're sharing, please consider leaving us a review on Apple and or Spotify. If you'd be so kind as to do that, we would love you even more than we already do. I'm looking forward to talking to you guys again soon, but until then,
0: please Take care.